Good morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Joe Dana, and I serve as an elder in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. Oh God, we thank you for meeting us in this space today as you are ready to meet us every day in all of our spaces. You show us through Jesus that we belong to you and that you care for us. As we hear your word this morning, grant us the faith to believe it, to believe that you call us to live our lives unselfishly in service to others and to you. Show us the joy of serving you as we find peace and continuing energy through your Holy Spirit. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Would you please join me in standing for our call to worship? As we begin our time of praise to the Lord today, listen to the words of the psalmist from Psalm 85. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Friends, let us worship the Lord. We are the people of God, but Scripture reminds us that we will sin. We need to confess our failures, knowing that the Lord Jesus intercedes for us, intercedes with the Father who freely forgives us. He forgives us through His infinite mercy and His goodness, so let us draw near to God with sincerity and with confidence and pray together the words of confession. By coming to your house on the first day of the week, O Lord, we are declaring that you have first place in our priorities.
and that you have a place of high esteem in our devotion. We bow down and honor you as creator and savior. Before you, O oh God, we are exposed to full view, inside and out, secret and obvious, thought and deed. You know us better than others know us. You know us even better than we know ourselves. Forgive us for every sinful thing you know of us. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, who has promised forgiveness of sins to all who turn to him in faith, he does pardon you and he sets you free. Sets you free from your sins, strengthens you to do his will, keeps you in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. as we do when we worship, let's reaffirm our commitment through the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's take a moment to circulate and give greeting to our Christian brothers and sisters.
Good morning. Welcome to worship at Church of the Palms. It is good to see you here on this not yet rainy Sunday morning. Hallelujah. It seems like it's been raining for a solid week. We're glad to be together in worship. I wanted to remind you if you're seated on one of the aisle side of the pews to take the red friendship pad that's there, pass it down the pew, sign your name to it, and then uh, take note of the names of the folks who are seated nearby you. Encourage you as well to read through the announcements that are found mostly in the back part of the bulletin. I want to highlight uh, just a few announcements this morning. The first one is, as we have been talking about for a number of weeks now, and as you see illustrated up here in the front with these backpacks, we are in the final days of preparation for our fourth annual Day of Hope this coming Saturday. And uh, during the, the prayer of dedication, Pastor Allen will be um, asking a blessing on the backpacks as a way of us, even now, and I encourage you throughout this week, to lift up the children and families that we will be serving, 250 children uh, this coming Saturday, to help them get ready for school, those uh, children who are homeless or in great need in our community. We're connecting uh, more and more with Wilkinson Elementary right here in our own neighborhood, and so if you haven't yet had the opportunity to sign up to be a part of that, it is a, a, just a thrill. And you can still do that this morning. We will be having our Day of Hope rally dinner and ice cream social this evening beginning at 5 p.m. over in the Campus Center. Whether or not you're able to volunteer for Day of Hope, we would love you to come and join in the celebration because it is through... Um, the generosity of our church family that this uh, day of serving and um, loving these children and families is happening once again this year. And so it's a celebration of what God has already accomplished and an anticipation of what God um, will do. So rally dinner ice cream social tonight, Friday beginning at 5.30, we'll be setting up for the actual event. And then Saturday morning from 9 until Saturday afternoon at 3 is when we'll be serving those children and their families. Um, it will be a highlight for our congregation. If you have been here recently, you may remember that this is the time of the year when our uh, high school students and their adult leaders are off on uh, mission trips and at conferences. And that is happening in a double way today. Our Urban Serve Atlanta mission team has completed their work, and this morning as we worship, they are worshiping with a, an urban congregation where they have been serving this week. Our Montreat team went up to Atlanta yesterday, and they overnighted together. They're in worship. The students, some students are continuing on from Urban Serve to Montreat. The rest of the students are coming back um, to Sarasota today. So we can continue to remember and pray and give thanks to God for the way the Lord is using our students and their leaders. Uh, this week, uh, Jay Northrup from our congregation, uh, will his memorial service will be on Tuesday at 11 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Please uh, keep his family in your prayers and I know that your presence would be appreciated. And just so that you know, uh, after we recognize our new members, 
I will be slipping out for a baptism over in the garden, and if everything goes as planned, I'll be slipping back in a little bit later <laughs> in the service. Let us continue to worship the Lord. One of the many joys we get to share as a church family is the opportunity to welcome new members into our midst, and we have that privilege today. I'd like to invite Diane and Ethel to come and join me here at the steps of the chancel. You see, we believe that God is building up a family of faith using our talents and gifts and interests and experiences and blending those together to be exactly what the Lord wants us to be, to accomplish our mission here of equipping disciples for the service of Christ. So we believe that the apostle, what the Apostle Paul wrote in, in that image of the, the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, that today with Ethel and Diane as members of this local expression of the body of Christ, we are more the congregation that God wants us to be. And so it is with grateful hearts for Ethel and Diane's presence that we recognize them today as new members. 
And we would uh, do that by asking you these questions. Who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ. Do you trust him? I do. Do you intend to be his faithful disciple? And will you be a committed member of Church of the Palms? Having heard their affirmative responses to these questions, do you, the people who are Church of the Palms, promise to do everything in your power to love and support them as we seek to serve our Lord and Savior together? If so, please answer, we will. Amen. And so, I heard a we back there. So, Ethel, I welcome you back, and Diane, welcome to you, and I would ask at the conclusion of the service, Carolyn, you're going to be right outside the organ door there, and so if you would care to make your way to to greet Ethel and Diane as they um, rejoin in Ethel's case and and, um, become a member in Diane's case, that would be uh, a, a warm expression of hospitality. So let us pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for your work in each one of our lives, and especially we uh, are overjoyed to welcome back Ethel as a rejoining member of this family of faith and to welcome Diane because we believe that you are building up your body in this place. So because of their presence, because of their talents and gifts and experiences and interests, Um, Lead us in new avenues of ministry and service to proclaim the love and grace of Christ Jesus our Lord. And now as a family of faith, unite us in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, as Ethel and Diane take their seats, let us continue our worship by presenting to God our morning tithes and offerings.
Shall we pray together? Lord, we thank you for the gifts and the givers who have contributed so generously. And we thank you for those uh, volunteers who are going to be entering the most exciting day with the Day of Hope working with our children. We thank you for the children that have been given to us. And we thank you that uh, we can offer them some hope and some encouragement and some instruction. And so as they fill their backpacks, I would pray that you'd bless this tool of your uh, work so that they'll learn, they'll grow, they'll be able to uh, more easily serve Jesus wherever they are. And as for us, we pray that you will help us to be an inspiration and a source of hope to these children as they leave our campus with their backpacks and with a hopefully a new resolve to be a better child. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, and we're gonna ask for Carol to come forward and lead us along with the children. See you. all those backpacks. I heard there's going to be 250 of those backpacks. That's such a blessing. So come on, group together. So we're still talking in um, kids worship about Psalm 23, and we're almost finished. We're on verse 5, and it goes like this. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemy. You Honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. So there's three parts to that, and we're going to try to learn them together and try to figure it out together. So the first part is the feast. Okay, so God prepares a big feast in the presence of the bad guy or our enemies. So I think that God wants us to know that he is bigger than any enemy we face. God is so big, you know that? God is so big that he basically says, I got this. You just go have a meal, go have a feast, watch me defeat the enemy, okay? It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah, so our enemy, the devil, he tries to make us afraid of him, you know? He, he tries to attack us with sickness and sadness and even temptation, but God says, I got your back. Don't worry about it. You just go have a happy meal and watch me take care of it. What a good shepherd we have. So the second part is that God shows us honor by anointing our head with oil. Can you imagine somebody pouring oil on your head? It'd be kind of messy, wouldn't it? Well, it was actually a way, a custom to show honor, and like a God's blessing. So it was the person that was anointed when they put oil on someone's head, he was set apart to do God's good things for God. You know what? I know that God knows, he wants each and every one of you guys to know, all of us to know, that we can do amazing things in this world if we follow God. What a good shepherd we have. So it's also an honor to know, to be known as someone who follows God. It's pretty cool. So the third thing is, the, the third verse goes, my cup overflows. Can you guys think of a blessing that you have? Anybody know of a blessing that you have? What do you think? 
I know that I've got blessing in my home. Does anyone have a blessing at home? A family, that's a blessing. We have food. I know that I have a, a family that loves me and a church that loves me. We have so many blessings, thanks be to God. What do you have? God. God is a blessing to us. Okay, so will you pray with me? Dear God, thank you for loving us and having a plan for each and every one of us. Dear Lord, thank you for taking care of us and blessing us. We love you. Amen.
We're going to read this morning for our lesson, uh, Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats. The essential imagery of the parable is that the Son of Man, and the Son of Man is Jesus' preferred designation of himself, is having before him the nations of the world, and as a shepherd, he is dividing this mixed herd of sheep and goats. If we pay attention to some obvious but often overlooked items in this parable, it leads us to some shocking truths. Item one, as I read the parable, you'll notice that it's not about religion or religious affiliations. Uh, there are no Christians in this parable. There are no Jews in this parable. Uh, there are no Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists. There aren't any agnostics or atheists. There are no believers or unbelievers. Finally, we are just sheep or goats. Evidently, God doesn't spend much time checking our badges to see if we bought the best belief system or if we're confessing the correct creed. The bottom line is that we're either sheep or goats. So when the day comes for my, my judgment, my, my final performance review, uh, it's not going to do me any good to arrive at the front desk and in my best stained glass voice uh, uh, announce my presence. I'm, I'm the Reverend, I'm the Reverend Dr. F. Morgan Roberts, ordained Minister of Word and Sacrament of the Presbyterian Church, Presbyterian Church USA, the desk clerk might look up and say, we don't have any reverends up here. We don't have any doctors of divinity up here. We don't have any Presbyterians up here. We don't have the USA up here. We just have sheep and goats. And it says here on the register that you've got some learning to do, so we're starting you out with the goats. <laughs> Item two uh, becomes even more shocking because what we learn is that we are a part of a much larger family than we ever realized. We have millions of brothers and sisters. Most of them can't speak our language. The vast majority of them are poor and some of them are even in prison. We didn't know we had this family. But what we learn is that Jesus is secretly present in their lives, invisibly incarnate in, in their lives, even though they may not know it, just as he is invisibly incarnate in our lives. They are kinfolk, and we are supposed to share with them the common goods of life. They may not be our crowd, but they're his crowd. He is in their lives by his grace, just as he is in our lives by his grace. He has adopted them uh, just as he has adopted us. We have a very large family even though it doesn't look like what we call our crowd. Item three, the goats are those 
who somehow have missed this point. Uh, they ask a question of surprise. I say, Lord, when? When was it that you were hungry and we didn't feed you? When, when were you in prison and we didn't visit you? Uh, the goats evidently thought that God spends most of his time in church. They were looking for him in all the wrong places. They didn't realize that most of the time he's out in that messed up world of chronic poverty, that world of strangers, foreigners, aliens, that world of repeat offenders who rot forgotten in our prison systems, but they're not forgotten by Jesus. He lives everywhere there is a child of God. Now that's something of a shocker, but the big shock comes at the end. The sheep, the good guys, ask the same question. Lord, when? When did we feed you? It's almost like they're saying, who are you? Uh, we didn't know we fed you. We didn't know that we visited you in prison. Evidently, Jesus have friends, has friends who are not even aware that they are the friends of Jesus. When they fed somebody who was starving, they didn't know that they were feeding Jesus. How did they miss this point? We don't know. Did they know him by some other name? We don't know. But this should not surprise us because you remember Jesus said once, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister. It's not saying that we know him or believe in him. It's doing the will of God that makes us the friends of Jesus. You take this parable seriously and it's a shocker. Now let's read it from the 25th of Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? When was it that we saw you hungry, gave you food, or thirsty, gave you something to drink? When was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are cursed, Depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. 
Then they also will answer, Lord, when? When was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. This sermon had its beginnings when I discovered a little note that meant a great deal to me that I had put away in a special place. And as often happens at this age of life, I forgot where the special place was <laughs> and then found it again. It was one of these uh, ordinary little notes that you receive a thank you note after you've attended a funeral and signed the book. It was from a woman whose mother had died. Uh, her mother, her name was Catherine, had been a member of the church I served in Birmingham, Alabama for three years as an interim pastor. And I'd gotten to know her mother pretty well. You know, in a church of 2,500, 3,000 members, you don't meet everybody, but there are some people who come in and talk with you more often. Well, some years after I had left that church, uh, Catherine phoned. Her mother phoned to tell me that she was ill, that her illness had not been diagnosed. And there followed uh, several phone calls in which she seemed to get worse and worse. And finally, there were no more phone calls, and I learned that her mother had died. And then shortly after that, there came this note. Before I tell you what was in the note, let me emphasize there was nothing extraordinary about our phone calls. I talked with her as would any pastor of this church who called in with a problem. I listened, I asked questions, I assured her that my prayers were surrounding her. But then came this note, Dear Morgan, Thank you for your telephone calls. You made a difference in Mama's life. You know, making a difference in one life is really all that matters. It's really all that matters in these ministries of ours. I mean, I had a, <coughs> a wonderful ministry in that church. In three years, we took in 300 new members. We increased the budget. But you know, when it's all over, when you look back on years of ministry, whether you've been a success or a failure at it, the only thing that really matters is that here and there, you touched some life, you made some kind of a difference. And it's all that matters <coughs> in your life. You know, make a million, lose a million, be a success, be a failure. In the last moments of life, the only thing that you can really say matters is that you made a difference in someone's life. But here's the, here's the point. <clears throat> if I had not received that note, I would never have known that I made a difference in Catherine's life. You know, you and I can be making a profound difference in the lives of many people and never be aware of it. We may speak some kind word, give some little gift, uh, uh, engage in some kindly action, but it may be years and miles down the road before we see the results, before 
the goods are delivered uh, until finally what we have done reaches its intended target and we see the consequences of our lives. But make no mistake of it, we're always making a difference. There are no neutral moments of life. We are always in some positive or negative way affecting the lives of others and making a difference. It's just that it may take a long time to see the results. Tell you a story. <clears throat> when my youngest daughter, Holly, finished at the University of Michigan, she went out to California to seek her fortune. Got a job in an advertising agency, met and fell in love with a young man who did work for that agency. It happens that he designed sets for TV commercials. The interesting thing was his father. His father was a high-end tailor in Beverly Hills. Wasn't a big tailor shop. It was just his father as the tailor, but he had some pretty interesting customers. He made custom clothing for Jack Lemon, Lucille Ball, Johnny Carson, Bob Newhart. Well, as always happens, the time came when uh, they became engaged and it was time to meet the parents. So on that particular day, uh, the father was working at the tailor shop. They took me down to the tailor shop. Well, his father didn't look like a tailor. I mean, I picture tailors as little people with little hands who can thread needles. <laughs> and I know how hard it is. I'm the button sewer honor in our family, and it's getting harder and harder. He was a big man with big hands. He was Greek. Uh, and uh, so we chatted. He was looking me over with sort of a trained eye, and then he said, you know, I've got something here that I think will fit you. Well, I, I hadn't come in to spend that kind of money. He, he goes over to this rack. He brings back an absolutely gorgeous gray herringbone suit that looked like it was made for a preacher. And he says, a few nips and tucks, and this is going to be perfect. Put it on. Then he explained to me, he said, I made this for a man who died the week before he was supposed to pick it up. <laughs> oh. Felt a little funny, the poor man didn't even get to be buried in his nice suit. But here, of course, this is where your Calvinism helps you because I realized in the eternal plan of God, it was predestined to be my suit. <laughs> so, fitted me out with it, we talk a little bit longer. And getting time to go, and he said, I got another idea. He went to that same rack and he brought forth an absolutely stunning tuxedo. This just wasn't a plain tuxedo, the kind you'd rent. This thing, I can't remember whether it was black or midnight blue, but it was just gorgeous. And he said, you know, I made this for Vic Damone. Now, some of you young people may not have heard of Vic Damone. He was a popular singer back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, you can Google him and hear him sing on your computer. <laughs> he said, Vic brought this back. He gained weight. He wanted to let out but he gained too much weight, so he just left it here. And he said, this is gonna fit you too. So, fitted me out, and I walked away. Uh, you know, about a week later they came. It was a pretty good haul for one morning. <laughs> <coughs> well, that gray herringbone suit, I wore that until couldn't wear it any longer. The tuxedo remained in its Beverly Hills garment bag forever. I never wore it. 
And finally, in 2005, the time came for us to uh, sort of uh, get rid of a lot of household stuff. We were loading all kinds of household articles into our van to take down to the depressed west end of Louisville, where Nora's church was, the uh, Portland Avenue Presbyterian Church, where they have a kind of closed closet where people could buy clothing for a pittance. Uh, so we're putting things in the, in the van, and uh, I hadn't put in the tuxedo. Nora said, what are you going to do with the tuxedo? I said, well, who would need a tuxedo down in the west end of Louisville? She said, what are you going to do with it? So down went the tuxedo. About 10 days later, the pastor, Pastor Willifay Williams, phoned and said, guess what happened to your tuxedo? Young mother, young poor mother, comes in with her teenage son and says, he wants to go to his senior prom. I can't afford to rent a tuxedo. Do you, do you have anything here, any kind of a dark suit that he could wear to his senior prom? Well, you, you know what I'm going to tell you. Vic Damone's tuxedo fit him like a glove. <laughs> and I realized something when that happened. When Tom Stasinas in Beverly Hills made that tuxedo, he wasn't making it for Vic Damone. He wasn't making it for me. He didn't know that he was making it for a poor kid on the west end of Louisville. It had finally reached its intended destination. You know, we're, we're never usually there when God's intended destination is reached by something we've said or done or a gift that we've given, but finally everything we do finally reaches its target, its destination, and makes a difference. And even if we do see what happened, we never know the full story. I wonder what really happened to that tuxedo. Uh, what did it do to the life of that kid? You know, he walked into his senior prom, and when he walked in with that tuxedo, he was the man. <laughs> you know, he's going to tell that story to his grandchildren. Did it change his life? I don't know. Did he start thinking, you know, I thought I wasn't going to my senior prom, and someone up there was looking after me. It could have turned his life around. I don't know. But you know, if a piece of used clothing can turn someone's life around, how much more can the gifts that we give, the kindly words that we speak, live on and make a difference right on into eternity? We just never know how much of a difference we're making. Three years ago, I was asked to write a chapter in a three-volume work. The title of the three-volume work was Heaven, Hell, and the Afterlife, Eternity in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And the chapter assigned to me was the chapter on American fundamentalism. Well, in uh, doing my work, I happened to be talking with a young colleague, a fellow pastor, and he said, you know, I remember reading something in the works of the theologian Paul Tillich. Uh, I've never been able to find it in Tillich's works, but he said what, what Tillich believed is that, you know, we're all a mixed bag. There's not a clear line between the sheep and the goats. Some days we 
do things as though we're the sheep, and other days we do bad things as though we're the goats. But finally, someday, we're going to see the sum total of what our lives have meant. And what we'll learn is that in life there's a domino effect. Help someone, and they pass it along. Hurt someone, they pass the hurt along. It's like there'll be two reception lines when finally the day comes. There'll be one in which the first person says to us, thank you, you helped me. And you inspired me to help others. Look at all these people. And they're going to, a long line of people we've never seen. But they were helped because we planted the seed and it was passed along. And then there's another line. The first person says, I forgive you but you hurt me. But for years, I passed the hurt along. You know, I can't think of anything better about heaven than to know, finally learn someday that I helped somebody and that they passed it along. And in contrast to that, the worst hell that I can imagine, worse than anything in Dante's Inferno, is that I hurt someone and they passed the hurt along. For that matter, you know, I've sometimes wondered if there will always be a little bit of hell in heaven. The hell of memory, of realizing I could have done so much more, and I didn't. Well, where do we go with this? Sheep or goats, every once in a while, there's a day in which you know you can be one of the sheep, in which you know I can do this and it's going to help someone. I may not see where it's going, but I know I can do it. And today is one of those days. Here comes a commercial for the Day of Hope. You can give a gift and it's going to matter. And now that I've told you that it has eternal consequences, you can up the gift you've already given. <laughs> Don't leave here today without saying, at least I know I can do one thing that's going to touch the life of the child and I'm going to shower it with my prayers and let it go because I know that God will multiply it. But then for the rest of the days of our life, here's what I hope you'll remember. It's what I said in the beginning. We're always making a difference. There are no neutral moments. We are always playing to a much larger audience than we could possibly realize. It's like saying, like back in the radio days, I used to have a little late Sunday night radio program, an interview program on KDKA in which I interviewed people. We'd go to a studio sometime during the week. I'd always tell the guests, now, when that red light is on, uh, the mic is hot. So when I finish the interview, you don't say something silly because uh, the mic is still hot. And you know, the mic is always hot in our lives. It's never turned off. We're always broadcasting. Or, or maybe better yet, we're always on screen, and we are playing to a huge audience. When I wrote that down, as I was putting this sermon together, I looked over across the room in my little den, and there was a smiling face. It was the face of someone who was on the air every day for years, uh, reaching a huge audience of people, and it was Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. It's a birthday card he sent me in 1992, and it's going to be on the front of next week's bulletin, because I'm talking about what's on the front of that card. 
You know, uh, Fred was the first person who wrote me a letter when I was called to Shady Side Church. He was always fascinated by the fact that we had the same initials, Fred McFeely Rogers, Frederick Morgan Roberts. We were born in the same month of March, 10 days apart, in the same year of 1928. So we never forgot my birthday. People often ask me, what was Fred Rogers like off camera when he wasn't on the TV screen? And you know, there's no way to answer that question. Fred was just Fred. Whether he was on screen or off screen, Fred was the same person. If he stopped by your house, as he did one day to just visit, open the door, and there's Fred, just the same Fred that's on TV. If you had lunch with him, just the same Fred. If someone came over the lunch table with a napkin, wanted his autograph, it's the same Fred. The constant spiritual quality of his life is that he talked always to everyone as though they were a precious child of God. You could be a celebrity, you could be a nobody, you were a precious child to God and that's the way Fred talked to you and because of that, he was always preaching the gospel. You know, we preach the gospel by the wordless witness of our lives. We can talk about Jesus without mentioning his names. In fact, 99% of the time, that's the way we've got to talk about Jesus. By treating people as though they are a part of this larger family that I spoke of, in which we are holy children of God living in a holy world. And that's the way Fred dealt. Everything he did was based upon this theology of God's universal amazing grace. He did have a theological education, you know. He was an ordained minister of word and sacrament, but had never had a church. But everything he did was based upon that theology of universal amazing grace. He was always preaching. Now, if this sounds like some fancy new idea that you preach the gospel by the wordless witness of your life, it's not. It's very old. It goes back to St. Francis. Uh, before that, actually, Frank says this, the full statement is St. Francis is preach the gospel always, use words if necessary. But it's by the wordless witness of our lives. And there was some that, someone who was doing that back in the 1920s, before really when Fred and I were just babies. His name was Frank Laubach. You know him mainly, perhaps, because of his world literacy program. By the time Fra Frank Laubach died, 60 million people or more could read who had been illiterate because of his method of teaching people to read in their own language. But it all began in the 1920s when he was what we call a foreign missionary on the island of Mindanao in the Philippines where he was assigned as a missionary to an isolated Muslim tribe. It was an impossible job. But he began by making friends, going to the tribal elders and saying, can I study the Koran with you? He realized that he had to be a wordless witness for Jesus. And this is what he wrote in 1930. I must confront these people with a divine love which will speak Christ to them, though I never use his name. My job here is not to make proselytes, 
It is to live wrapped in God, trembling to his thoughts, burning with his passion. And that's the only way we're going to attract people to Jesus, by the prayerful, hopeful witness of our lives in which we deal with every person at every moment as though they're a child of God, and as Frank Laubach would have said, send to them our thoughts of Jesus. Let them know by the very atmosphere, the prayerful, hopeful atmosphere of our, their lives that we love them and that Christ loves them and that they're the children of God. That's the only way it's going to happen. Seven weeks before Frank Laubach died in 1970, he wrote me a letter. Uh, I had asked him to come and speak in my church. He was 85 and was still on the road saying the things that I'm saying to you this morning. He wrote back and said that he, his schedule just wouldn't permit it. But he ended the letter, called me Brother Roberts. He said, God, God give you a tremendous fire of the Spirit. What a benediction. And that's my prayer for you this morning. God give you a tremendous fire of the Spirit. Let us go forth leading lives of prayerful hope, touching everyone we meet with the love of Jesus, even if we don't speak his name. Preach the gospel always. Use words if necessary. But above all, God give you a tremendous fire of the Spirit. God bless you.
as this service ends and when you go from this place, go with God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forever. Amen.